How Can We Reduce the Incidence of Sudden Cardiac Death? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, your host, and with me today is Dr. Gus Barty. Dr. Barty is the president of the Seattle Institute for Cardiac Research in Seattle, Washington. Recently, Dr. Barty and his group were the lead investigators of a trial called the Home Use of Automated External Defibrillators for Sudden Cardiac Arrest, which was recently published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Dr. Barty, welcome to the program. Good to be here, Matt. Sudden cardiac death still remains a very large problem in this country, and I wanted to discuss some of the strategies that we have to try to save these patients. What are some of the things that we can do, first of all, to identify patients that are at high risk of sudden cardiac death? Well, I think one has to first understand the definition of sudden cardiac death is cardiovascular collapse without antecedent symptoms or signs that reflect a progressive uh, chronic disease uh, over the course of many days. It usually occurs abruptly, complete loss of consciousness either within seconds of onset of symptoms and definitionally most people would say within five minutes of the onset of symptoms. It's usually due to ventricular fibrillation, but there are many things that can cause sudden cardiac death uh, relating to various cardiac diseases, including pulseless electrical activity, tamponade, pulmonary embolus, but it also includes um, aortic aneurysm rupture and other disorders that can lead to immediate cardiovascular collapse. That said, the vast majority of cases in the U.S., at least 160,000 a year and maybe towards a quarter of a million a year, the vast majority of cases are due to ventricular fibrillation, usually occurring in someone with known mild to moderate heart disease. So the population are patients who have already been diagnosed with heart disease and this then becomes an electrical problem, is it patients who are very advanced in their heart disease or is it throughout the spectrum of heart disease that we see this problem? It does occur throughout the spectrum of heart disease, but what is difficult for the public health is realizing that the majority of sudden death cases occur in people that are doing relatively well. There are some markers that they have disease, but they're not the ones that are in extremis, although those individuals certainly have sudden death and cardiac arrest, the big numbers come from those with mild to moderate disease. So we know that one of the ways of stratifying patients is looking at cardiac function, looking at ejection fractions, and so I suppose that's one way we can classify patients. So let's talk about that group first, the ones that have very low ejection fractions. Uh, What's a good strategy to try to reduce the risk of sudden death in that group? It's reasonable on any cardiac patient to have a measure of ejection fraction. And I think once you hit 35%, if that patient has either a dilated cardiomyopathy and and or coronary disease, that individual is a candidate for an implantable defibrillator. Those with milder disease, that is ejection fractions higher than that, there are other considerations that should take place. Everybody with coronary artery disease should be on a beta blocker, if at all possible. Everybody with heart failure should be on a beta blocker, if at all possible. Certainly, statins should be used in anybody that has uh, elevated LDLs or any proclivity to chemical lipid abnormalities. That should be addressed. And ACE inhibitors or vasodilators have a role, certainly, in heart failure. 
and then anticoagulation and uh, depending upon the disorder should be considered. So there's an importance of background uh, drug therapy, especially statins and beta blockers should be at the top of the list in preventing sudden death. And then even with those, patients still benefit from implantable defibrillators when their ejection fractions are below 35%, even in the stable condition. And in fact, probably those with the mildest symptoms get the most benefit because the sicker you are with heart failure and the lower your ejection fraction, the more difficult it becomes to prolong life with implantable defibrillator technology because of the competing causes of death that, that come into play, like pump failure, death, stroke, and other disorders. If there's a lesson here, it's actually the medium-term or medium-risk group who may be stable and doing well who are most likely to benefit from an implantable defibrillator. So if we take out the group that has the implantable defibrillators, and we're dealing now with the more mild LV dysfunction patients, patients who should be on optimal medical therapy, is there still a high enough incidence of sudden cardiac death in the non-implantable defibrillator group that we need to think of strategies of how to protect this group of patients? My approach to this group perhaps is a little atypical because I'm also used automated external defibrillators for select circumstances with patients with mild, low-risk cardiac disorders. The use of an automated external defibrillator is pretty much risk-free. One can prescribe it as a physician and get some reimbursement, even through Medicare, under select circumstances for the use of an AED. I think it's an option that is underutilized by many physicians. The risk of ventricular fibrillation in mildly diseased patients is low, but it's not zero. And the negative of having an AED is non-existent. In our uh, home AED trial, we found not a single inappropriate use. There have been thousands of uses in our country of AEDs by lay people or non-professionals without any inappropriate use. So they are valuable safety tools at minimum. Uh, I personally have them for, for my home. I think a lot of physicians realize that there's no downside risk to having them for themselves, and uh, there's probably not a downside risk for having them uh, for your patients uh, with mild disease. But one just has to be careful that if they are ICD candidates, uh, you do not prescribe an AED for them. They should uh, best be treated with an ICD. If you are just joining us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino, and I'm speaking with Dr. Gus Barty, and we are discussing strategies to try to treat patients who are at risk of sudden cardiac death. The AEDs uh, certainly have been shown in isolated cases and isolated patients to be very beneficial. Is there particular places where they would be best placed? Are they better potentially at home or in uh, stadiums or in airports? Is, is there a particular place where we should really be thinking of placing these devices? AEDs can be used anywhere. I, there really isn't a limit to where they should be. Any place with a high volume of individuals will eventually see cardiac arrest. The issue is how quickly can you get to a defibrillator given that ventricular fibrillation is the dominant cause of cardiac arrest because death occurs pretty much certainly within 10 minutes of onset of ventricular fibrillation unless 
uh, a shock is delivered. And getting a shock to a person within 10 minutes of collapse is very difficult, no matter where you live. So I'm a big advocate of broad dissemination of AEDs. And if one can afford to have one in their home, there's little reason why not. Certainly can't hurt you. Now, you recently performed this study looking at the home use of automated defibrillators. Did they work well? Were they useful therapy for patients in the home? They did work well in the home. Our study didn't demonstrate a high enough event rate to statistically demonstrate a superiority in all-cause survival, and that's important to emphasize. All-cause survival is is kind of the gold standard in any public health study, especially studies uh, sponsored by the NIH, as this one was. And so we couldn't demonstrate all-cause survival improvement. However, in the very small number of people in whom the AED was used by a spouse or a family member, they had a 33% long-term survival rate from ventricular fibrillation, which is actually quite outstanding. 33% is not a great number for many serious diseases, but in the case of ventricular fibrillation, that can be 10 to 15 times better than what is experienced by medic systems. Now, you mentioned that in your study, all-cause mortality, total mortality, was not diminished. Was that because the most common cause of death was not sudden death in this trial? That's correct. Um, We were quite surprised. Uh, We were expecting a 4% annual death rate. In fact, the annual death rate was about 2%. And it may reflect the improved use of beta blockers and statins in this post-MI population. They actually did much better. It may also reflect some training bias. Um, We actually spoke to our patients about their risk of sudden death. That isn't routinely done by most physicians. They normally uh, uh, steer clear of taking a post-MI patient and then weighing them down psychologically with this idea of an out-of-the-blue death without warning. So most physicians don't discuss it. We, by trial design, did, and that actually may have had a very beneficial effect by uh, taking patients that had any symptoms or any warnings. They may have jumped in the car and driven to the emergency room a lot faster or called medics a lot faster, thereby preempting their cardiac arrest and perhaps in part explaining why our percentage rate was so low. Now, your trial tried to randomize the use of the AED versus a traditional calling 911 and starting CPR. Let's talk about the group that didn't have the AEDs, the group that uh, did the traditional uh, witness, bystander, CPR, and called 911. In that subgroup of patients who had sudden death, how did they do? I presume they didn't have a one out of three success rate. We're talking very small numbers in 19 patients. And Many of those people, in fact, had definitional cardiac arrest, but um, when you look more closely, they didn't have cardiac arrest that was in the home. They may have had syncope in the home or may have had prolonged syncope uh, or they may have had VF in the hospital. In fact, several of those people that survived in that group didn't have their cardiac arrest at home. So it's hard to know whether or not they benefited purely from CPR. Most likely what happened is that that group benefited from awareness. I think awareness has a lot of value to it. It's a difficult topic to discuss with patients, but just knowing that they can have a cardiac arrest teaches the person to respond more promptly, call 911 
one more promptly or get into a hospital more promptly. And that is what I think primarily helped this group more so than just the performance of CPR. Well, I want to thank Dr. Gus Barty, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the use of automated external defibrillators to try to save lives and our patients who are at risk of sudden cardiac death. I am Dr. Matt Sorrentino. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. Or call us toll-free with your comments and suggestions at 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Dr. William Franklin Peacock. You are listening to the first radio station created for medical professionals, ReachMD-XM-157.